If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Genesis. We actually go line by line, precept upon precept, the way the Bible says in the book of Isaiah, we're supposed to study the Bible. That way you don't get off on tangents, you don't get off on false doctrine, you don't get off on all the crazy stuff that goes on today, what we call the church. Because if you read the Bible, line upon line, precept upon precept, the Bible will correct false doctrine. It's just the way it works. And so the thing is, you can't begin to anchor into things you shouldn't be anchoring into. We look at all of what the precept of what God is saying. So that's why it's so important that we do this. This is such an important part of, uh, of God's word, the way we study. And certainly today, as we look at the life of Joseph, the children of Israel, you're going to see how God's hand rests upon us. Now, before we, uh, before we go any farther, following the service, uh, the teaching today, we have communion. And um, maybe during this time of being here today, you know, Jesus held up the cup and he said, this is my blood which was shed for you. We realize that we were redeemed because God loves us. But he also held up the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And Peter tells us, quoting out of the Old Testament, that by his stripes were healed. And there's a lot of things about all of us that need to be healed. Sometimes it's our memories. Sometimes it's our emotions. Sometimes it's our actual physical bodies. But I believe that God, through communion, made a way that we can be healed. And friends, you need to be healed today. You don't have to carry out of here the troubles and the problems and the aches and the pains of your past, but you can leave them here in the blood and the body of Jesus. And so you think about that as we lead up to having communion. Father, today as we go to your word, we just ask you now that your Holy Spirit would anoint these words from your word, that they would go into our heart, that we would remember them, and Lord, that we would see life from your perspective, not from ours. And so we just ask you now that your Holy Spirit would touch every person listening today in Jesus' name. Amen. We look at the story of Joseph. Yes, one of the brothers of the original 12. And we remember Jacob was told by the 11 brothers that a wild animal must have killed him. And here's his coat of many colors as they sneakily, I don't know if that's a word, but if it isn't, it should be, sneakily dipped his coat of many colors in animal blood, tore it up and presented it to their father and said, look, something happened to your favorite son. When in reality, what they did, they intended to kill him, but they sold him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. And he was taken down to Egypt, auctioned off as a slave in a foreign land where he didn't know the language, ends up in a man's house, Potiphar, which actually, as we, uh, the Bible says he was captain of the guard. He was the head of the SS, if you will, in, in Egypt at that time, where his Potiphar's wife makes a move on Joseph, tries to rape him. He runs out of the house to save face. Potiphar has Joseph put in prison where he meets the butler and the baker who, and evidently there was some kind of attempt on Pharaoh's life. Pharaoh didn't know who the guilty one was, so he put them both in prison till they could wade through it. Joseph comes in one day who is now kind of the captain of the prison because God's hand was with him. 
says, what are you guys so bummed out about? And he says, well, we both had dreams. We don't know what it means. And Joseph explains to the butler and the baker what their dreams meant. Butler, you're going to be restored to Pharaoh's side. Baker, you're going to have your head cut off. Whoa. Well, the butler was restored to the, cap, to the Pharaoh's side. Years go by. Pharaoh has a dream, doesn't know what it means. He sees some really nice, big, fat cows come out of the river. And he's going, yeah. Well, then the Bible says he dreamed that there was seven skinny cows that came up and ate up the fat cows. Man, I'll tell you, watch late night pizza. Anyway, they were eating and they ate these, the skinny cows ate up the fat cows and they were still skinny. Then he also had another dream about sheaves of grain and the sheaves of grain did the same thing. He didn't know what it meant. Brought his magic men, soothsayers. Pharaoh says, what does it mean? They go, beats us. We don't know. And the butler says, you know, when I was in prison a couple years ago, I met a guy that could interpret dreams. Maybe you should tell him your dream. Pharaoh says, great. You bring him up here to me. And so they cleaned him all up, dolled him all up, brought him in before Pharaoh. Pharaoh told him what he dreamed. And he said, Pharaoh... Your two dreams, the one about the cows and the grain, same grain. You're going to have seven years of bounty. The fields are going to really give forth a lot of grain. And then the drought, the famine is going to come. And the seven years of famine are going to be so severe, they're going to eat up the seven fat years, and there's still going to be want in the land. And he says, you know what you need to do, Pharaoh, right now? You need to appoint somebody over your grain, and you need to begin to store your grain immediately because of the famine that's going to come. And Pharaoh goes, where can I find somebody in which the wisdom of the gods dwell? You be my prime minister. He went from prison to prime minister in a day. Now, when we look at this, and I'm not going to have you turn there, but I'll just read it to you. Verse twenty. Verse 21 uh, in uh, Genesis 39, it says, The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. You know, at the time that that was written, this was right when he was thrown into prison. God was with Joseph and he was thrown into prison, falsely accused after being ripped off by his brothers, sold into slavery. Yeah, that really sounds like a God I want to serve. But you see, God doesn't do things our way. And this is one of the wonderful things about studying the entirety of God's word. At times we have snapshots through the Bible. And if it wasn't that we could look at the whole book of Genesis, we would say, what kind of a God is it that would be in favor of Joseph and letting him be in prison and and letting him be rejected by his brothers and being accused of rape and all these things and God was with him. No, God was with him. God had him exactly where he wanted him to be because God was about to do something so monumentous, so exact in perfection that this is what was required. Now, when we realize, first of all, through the famine, God was going to, uh, God was going to supply the nation of Israel, his brothers, with food. But something even greater than that, God was going to eventually bring the children of Israel down into Egypt 
and they were extremely segregated, extremely prejudiced. The Egyptians believed that they were descendants of the gods and everybody else in the world were descendants of the dogs or something like that. They were royalty. Everybody else was nothing. So they didn't intermingle one with another. Well, this was one of the great warnings that God had given to the descendants of Abraham. Don't intermingle with non-believers. Do you think it's still a problem today? Absolutely. If you're dating a non-believer, get out of the relationship. Why is that? Because you cannot walk hand in hand with somebody unless you're in agreement. You as a Christian serve God. They are serving themselves. If you're thinking about going into business with a non-believer, you've got the same problem. Don't be unequally yoked together with non-believers. Why is that? Because one person serves themselves, the other person is serving God. Well, this is what happened. And so Jacob, Joseph's dad's brother, uncle, (laughs) Uncle Esau, He marries two pagan Hittite women. The Bible says it greatly grieved uh, uh, Isaac and Rebekah because of his choice in who he was marrying. So God then uses this famine and the length of the famine, seven years, to allow the children of Israel to run out of food. They come down seeking food. And here Joseph is sitting there as prime minister in Egypt with all the Egyptian garb on. And into the throne room comes his straggly brothers begging for food. And I can just see him looking at him going, oh my goodness. Just like the dream I had when I said that their sheaves would bow down to mine. And so he played a little bit of a game with them. Finally, he reveals who he is. Hey, I'm your brother that you thought died. I'm now prime minister. They couldn't believe it. They go back. They tell their father, uh, Jacob, hey, your son is alive. And so he sends with his brothers back to Egypt as they came to buy food, he says, you better come back. The famine is going to go on for a long time yet. You're not going to make it there. So he sends U-Hauls and all kinds of stuff. The Bible says caravans and all that stuff down to load them all up and bring them back to Egypt where there is plenty. Now, this is where we come into the story this morning. We're just going to read a couple of verses here in chapter 46, and then we're going to go into chapter 47. So verse 26 of chapter 46 in Genesis, all the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, this is after he loaded them all up, and by the way, the verses before that list all the people by name who went down. I I like this about the Bible. It gives us very good records of how and where everybody got where they're at. It says, and all the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body besides Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons, all the persons in the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. Now, by the way, this is important. 70 people go into Egypt. Now, this is important because we get this question on every man and answer a lot. Where, you know, where did, did uh, 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 Adam and Eve's sons find wives? Well, you're going to see that right here. 
70 people go into Egypt, okay? 400 years later, 2 million Jews leave Egypt. Started with 70, in just 400 years, there's 2 million people. Now, this is one of the things, this is figuring based upon a family having about six kids. And this is where they come up with these kinds of numbers. So, I know I always use this illustration. You ever been to a family reunion? And you'll walk up to people that maybe you've even known in the community, and they turn out to be your second cousin. This happened to me. And I didn't even know that they were my second cousin. This is only a period of 30 years. So, imagine hundreds of years... The Bible tells us Adam lived to be 930 years old. So literally over two times the amount of time here. And there was two million people in just that amount of time. So uh, again, this is where after just a few generations, you can see how there would be this. And so initially they had to marry a sister, but right after that, uh, they began to be pretty dispersed as far as spouses go for the first family. Well, then it says, let's go to verse 28. Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to go to Goshen. And they came to the land of Goshen. Now, this land of Goshen is in the upper Nile River, right? Right where the Nile River meets the Mediterranean Sea. Very lush, very green, very nice. And interestingly enough, the Egyptians didn't have that much to do with it. Perfect for, for uh, agriculture, perfect for raising uh, animals. But the Egyptians didn't like animals. They didn't like shepherds as we're going to read on here in just a minute. So Joseph made ready his chariot, which by the way, Joseph was a very prominent person, second in command in the land of Egypt, made ready his chariot, went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel, and he presented himself to him, fell on his neck. Now, this is a weird way of saying it, but literally they, they had each other by the neck. This is the first time Joseph has seen his father in over 20 years. And I can just see that moment of absolute joy in Jacob, thinking his son was dead all those years. His brothers, his rotten brothers, kept telling his dad that, hey, he got eaten by an animal, and they lied to him all along. I bet you there were some discussions around the the dinner table on this one. So, you guys lied to me all these years. But Joseph was alive and well, hugged him, put his arm around him and, and embraced him. And Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face because you are still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up, tell Pharaoh, and I shall say to him, my brother's and, uh, and those of my father's house who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock, and they have brought their flocks and herds and all that they have. And so it will be when Pharaoh calls you and says to you, what is your occupation? Then you shall say, 
Your servant's occupation has been livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, that we may dwell in the land of Goshen, to, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Isn't that weird? Now, why is that? Why did Jacob, um, uh, again, come to the land? They didn't have any food. Here's plenty of thing for their flocks and everything. And Joseph says, you tell Pharaoh that you're shepherds. Now, that's true. That's what they were. But the thing is, it's because of two reasons. One, it was a non-compete clause. Hey, we don't like shepherds here. You guys are kind of an abomination to us. And so therefore, uh, it's non-compete. We're not going to be competing with you in the land to grow more food or anything like that. We're shepherds. That's the first thing. Number two, that we are an abomination to you. And therefore, there will not be any desire for the Egyptians to intermingle or marry with the children of Israel. And that's what I believe God wanted all along. And I believe that's even greater than the whole idea of preserving them through a famine was that simply that God would move them where they could be preserved so they wouldn't end up like Uncle Esau marrying the Hittite women, that God moved them down to protect them because God was going to do a great thing. Then Joseph, chapter 47, verse 1. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father, my brothers, their flocks and their herds, all that they possess have come into the land of, have come from the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. Finally, they listened to Joseph. See, Joseph had been telling them all along what was going to go on. They didn't believe him. Now they believe him. I think that's really important that God actually allowed the circumstances in Joseph's life to confirm who and what he was. He says. And, it, and they said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land. Now, this is important. They didn't say we come here to make it permanent residence. We come here to sojourn in the land. And the reason why, because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land, and let them dwell in it, in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, who make them, make them chief herdmen even over my livestock. Uh, now, by the way, this isn't something that Egyptians did. They would get other races to take care of their livestock. Because again, dealing with the whole cow, I don't know how to say it, all the stink. We don't do that. We're descendants of the gods. You get your slaves to do that. And if you happen to know anybody that are really good herdsmen, send them my way. Pharaoh says, I'll put them over my uh, 
they still like beef steak, you know. So they, they, they had animals as well. They used them, of course, to pull the plows, things like this. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. This is kind of unusual because Egyptians believed that their gods dwelt in their leaders. Uh, the god Ra, for instance, uh, the, the principal god of the Egyptians, dwelt in Pharaoh. But here we find that Pharaoh is allowing Jacob to bless him. And again, we find that all the way through the Bible concerning Jacob, the lesser will bless the elder, another, not the other way around. So it was with Esau and Jacob, so now it is with Jacob and Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days and the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Wow, he could have had his house paid off. You know, I, I look at that, isn't that weird? About the time you pay off your house, it's time to go. But you notice something here. The days of my pilgrimage are 130 years. My pilgrimage. I'm just a passing through. I'm not a permanent resident of Egypt. I'm not even a permanent resident of Canaan. I'm just a passing through. You know, it isn't sometimes till you get sick or have a heart attack or something that you realize just how temporal we are. Again, I, I, I use this so many so often, and I, I, I'm sorry to belittle or beleaguer the point, but I had a heart attack on, Jan, on December 5th. I died for two minutes. I was completely dead. <laughs> and they put paddles on me, and you know, and, and I came back to life. You know you're in trouble when you're in the emergency room, and you hear the boop, boop, boop. You see the little thing? And then you hear it go, which means you have no more heartbeat. And I heard me die. That's bad. I looked at my wife. She was in the, and I said, that ain't good. And then I just, and the next thing I noticed, there's a nurse in my face going, do you know where you are? And I think, I said, well, I guess I just passed out. She goes, no, you died. And I go, oh. You see, that's weird. We're just passing through. I told my wife two hours before I was in the hospital, dead. I said, you know, I feel better today than I felt in four weeks. <laughs> two hours later, I was dead. We're just passing through. Do you realize today may be the last day you're ever on this earth? That's why I really believe, friends, we, we've got to reprioritize yeah, you know what I'm saying. Prioritize our purpose. Because again, we get so upset over things that you may not even be here tomorrow to worry about. You say, but yeah, but what if I am? Well, even if you are, it ain't worth the grief that you spend on it today. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims. We're passing through. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. If you are a Christian. If you're not a Christian, I got some bad news for you. You're going to spend a long time in a place you don't want to be. But you can fix that today. You don't have to stay on the road you're on. That's good news. 
Again, but everybody's, everybody's going on the big road. Yeah, that's right. The Bible says wide is the road that leads to hell. Narrow and straight. You know, even the world, I've, I've used this illustration so many times, but even the world recognizes it. ACDC, highway to hell. Does that give you an idea? How about Led Zeppelin, stairway to heaven? Probably anticipates the traffic on both the roads. You have a stairway to heaven, you have a highway to hell. That is from the world's philosophy, not from Christianity. Do you think they know something that the average dumb human being doesn't? I do believe these guys dabble in the occult. Many of the rock and rollers. And when I hear them talk about a highway to hell... And you look at the other lyrics in their song, they know something. And when you look at Led Zeppelin, who's also been dabbling in stuff, and they sing about a stairway to heaven. Friends, you stop to think about this for a minute. You don't got to go to church to hear the message of what eternity is like. You can turn on American Top 40 retro, and you can hear but there's something more than meets the eye. We're passing through. I'm a sojourner, he says. So he says, my pilgrimage, 130 years, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. Yep, he's not being cynical here. He's simply telling the truth. They've been hard. Friends, life is hard. And if you don't have God in your life to help you through this world, it's a long, empty road, man. And and that's why we're so vulnerable, because life is hard, and we all need someone to lean on. Yeah, yeah, we do. But who you're leaning on is going to make a big difference in the way you live your life. Because if you're leaning on the philosophy of the world... On the highway to hell, you're going to find yourself not getting better, but you're going to find yourself getting worse. The Bible tells us evil company corrupts good manners. And so that's why I believe again, as we're sojourners, we need one another. Jesus said, you are my body. Speaking of those that are believers in Christ, you need each other. We need each other. That's why we like to have dinners after church. So you fellowship and you meet new people and you make acquaintances and sometimes lifelong friends. I have lifelong friends that I met when I was in high school. They are still my friends to this day. Thank God for that. You need that. But you know, people of the world will take advantage of you because they don't see life like you do. He says this. He said, so I have not attained to the days and the years of the life of my fathers in their days, in their pilgrimage. Again, he recognizes that Abraham, Isaac also, we we see that they lived a lot longer than, than, than Joseph did. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. 11. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them possession in the land of Egypt, the best land 
in the land of Ramses, the Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, his father's household, bread according to the number of their families. Now there was no bread in the land. For the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. This was one gnarly drought and one bad famine. It it was actually a world changer. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt, in the land and in the land of Canaan, for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money to Pharaoh's house. And so it was when the money failed in the land of Egypt, and friends, by the way, um, money can fail. I, I think this is important. Again, the Bible's written, the book of Jude says, these things are written for our examples. So if you say, well, I've got my 401k or I've got my, my gold underneath my bed, you know, well, that's good if there's something to buy. But if there's nothing to buy, it ain't going to do you any good. You better hope, better be in Jesus, not in anything else. And so when the money failed, isn't this a weird verse? Money fails. Can money fail? Yes, it does and did. Now, by the way, for you Bible prophecy people, the Bible says that there's going to be a one world order that's getting ready. I believe we're seeing the premonitions of it right now. We're seeing the diminishing of the United States. We're on the road to making America stupid again. And I hate to say it, but have you noticed gas prices? They go up about 10 cents a week now. You ain't seen nothing yet. Because you see, we're diminishing America. And what's happening is there's going to be a one world order. And here's the other part of it, a one world currency. I don't know if it's going to be Bitcoin or something altogether different, but we all can see the end of the dollar looming in the horizon. Either hyperinflation will take it out or just simply, just simply uh, that, that, that um, the printing presses are running with nothing to back it up. It's called fiat money. There's, there's nothing to back it up. It's, it's just a printing press, printing paper. Well, eventually, people around the world that own our debt are going to say, we don't want it. Your dollar, here it is, fails. And now we become debtors to the world. Well, notice what happened when the money fails. Now, he says here, there was no bread in the land. The famine was severe. So the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan languished because of it. Now, he says again, he gathered up all the money. Verse 15, so when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all, all the Egyptians. Now notice, it isn't just the Jews now. He, now it's the Egyptians in the land of Egypt coming to Joseph. It says, that the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us bread for why should we die in your presence for the money has failed. And Joseph said, then give your livestock and I will give you bread for your livestock when your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph 
And Joseph gave them bread in exchange for their horses and their flocks and the cattle and their herds and their donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all the livestock that year. And when that year had ended, oh yeah, but the famine's not over yet, friends. They came to him the next year and said to him, we cannot hide um, from my Lord that our money is gone. And the Lord also now has, uh, uh, my Lord has our herds, our livestock. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread. And in our land we will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought the land for, the, for Egypt, for Pharaoh. Every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them and the land became Pharaoh's. And the people he had moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had their rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate the rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have brought, I bought you their land this day, For Pharaoh, look, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, for your food, for your households, and for your little ones. So he said basically this. He said, look, okay, you're selling me your land, but I'm going to let you share crop it. You're going to go back, and you're going to till the land. But one-fifth of everything you grow now belongs to Pharaoh. Four-fifths you keep for yourself. And it shall come to pass in harvest that you shall give one-fifth or 20% literally of your yearly income to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own. And so they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in your sight, my Lord. We will be Pharaoh's servant. And Joseph made a law over the land of Egypt to this day. That means to the day of the writing when Moses recorded these things. That Pharaoh should have one-fifth except the land of the priests, which not, did not become Pharaoh's. So men, you realize heavy taxation because of this. This famine... This crisis was a world changer. Now remember, friends, what was it Rahm Emanuel said in the previous administration or Obama said, never let a crisis go to waste? Here is a good illustration of that. They used the crisis to manipulate the circumstance. Now Pharaoh owns just about everything. Now taxes are an issue. Here you find taxes. By the way, a lot of people don't know this. You ever heard of the Boston Tea Party? where they threw all the tea in the harbor because they didn't want to pay the high taxes on the tea coming in. Do you know how much the tax rate was on that tea? 14%. What? That's hardly sales tax in some states anymore. That's right. Our our forefathers revolted at 14% taxes. (laughs) What do you think your taxes are now when you add in 
property tax and income tax and the social security tax and uh, automobile tax and, and sunlight tax and air tax and everything else. Our forefathers objected to 14%. Our tax rate, they say today, if you add in all the taxes, is somewhere between 45 and 49%. And most all governments fail when it goes over 50%. In other words, where the government is taking half of what you do. Something to think about. Learn from the past. So Israel, verse 27, dwelt in the land of Egypt. In the, country, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there and grew exceedingly. Now, again, uh, 400 years later, there are 2 million people. Uh, you stop to think about these numbers of how big this was. And you think about the land of Egypt and how they uh, were able to sustain that many people with food and everything like that. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. So he actually lived in Egypt for that length of time. Now remember going back, God had spoke to Abraham when they did the sacrifice thing. If we go back, I think it was uh, chapter 15. Uh, in Genesis and there was a covenant that God made with Abraham and he said you're going to sojourn in the land of Egypt for 400 years he, he already told him that that this was what was going to happen and so it says here when the time drew near that Israel or Jacob must die he called his son Joseph and said to him now if I have found favor in your sight please put your hand under my thigh Deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt. I think this is funny. He goes to his son and he said, look, I'm here, but my heart's not here. You take me back to the land of Canaan when you guys leave here. Because you see, he believed the promises of God. He knew what God had spoken to his great grandfather, Abraham, saying, you're going to sojourn here for 400 years. But when it comes time to leave, and you will leave and go back to the land of Canaan, Jacob said, don't leave me here. I want to go back to where my wife was buried. I want to go back to my homeland. And so it's interesting, as we will read up, when the children of Israel do eventually leave Egypt, you got all these people leaving, and you got the sarcophagus of Jacob with them going back to the land, the promised land. Now he says, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And then he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. So Israel bowed himself at the head of the bed. Now, you look at this story. A lot here. First of all, don't look at your life as an example right now. If you're going through some hard times, listen. God does these things for a reason. I look back at my life. I'm not real old. I'm 68. But I look back at my life and I think about some things. Why did I have to go through that particular trial years ago? But I found that that trial prepared me, taught me what I was going to need to know in the days to come. 
Now, no lesson oftentimes is welcomed when we have to learn it. But friends, if we learn it, it will go into you and it will help you in the days to come. One of the things that we get when we study God's word is this. God doesn't waste. And he doesn't waste the experiences of your life because he loves you. And when he brings you through things, it is for a reason. Now, remember, you might say, well, how is it going to benefit me? It may not. It may be for others because it's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives within me. Remember, the hard experiences that you go through may be to minister to other people down the road. The Bible says we comfort one another with the comfort that we've received from God. This is called empathy. There's a big difference between empathy and sympathy. Empathy says, I know what you're feeling because I have felt the same thing. Sympathy says, too bad to be you. I'm so sorry for you. Can't relate, but I feel bad for you. That's sympathy. Empathy says, I know what you're feeling. Been there, felt it. And you can comfort somebody with the same comfort that you got from God to them. You see, one of the things we have to realize when we come to Christ, it's no longer about me. It's about God. Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's about God now in his kingdom. Do you realize God loves the people of this earth so much that he sent his only begotten son? Whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He loves these people, but the message to get to them is brought through you and me. Wow. You mean I actually have a purpose for my life other than to just occupy space? Yeah, that's what it's about. And why is that? Well, because... For some reason, it was through man that man fell, Adam. It was through a man named Jesus that reversed what Adam did. And it's through man that God communicates to people of this world the message of the gospel. That's what we're here for. That's why we're not all gone. When we pray and accept Christ, boom, we're gone. No, we're still here. We're here for a reason. And what's that reason? To be light, to be salt in this world that doesn't know him. This morning, I first of all want to encourage all of you that are Christians, don't look at the snapshot of your life today and think this is all there is. God's got a bigger plan. Just as we read back, and God was with Joseph. Yeah, he was in prison. He was falsely accused. He was carried away to a foreign land. People he didn't even know. Everybody believed he was dead, rejected by his own brothers. And God was with Joseph. Yeah, right. No, he is. You can put your own line of trials right in there, and God is with you. You say, but, but, but I, 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 I messed up. I, I, I caused some of these problems in my life because I, I took a stride from the master's side and, and got caught or got beat up or whatever. Listen, God is bigger than the things that you've done wrong. And if he isn't bigger than the things you have done wrong, we don't have a very big God, do we? But God is bigger. Let him bless you. That's the first thing. Because you need to settle that in your heart. God's not done with you yet. But Mike, you don't understand the problems I've got. Oh, let me tell you. I got problems too. Just like you do. Put my shoes on just like you do. Have the same thoughts just like you do. You don't think Peter did in the Bible? You don't think the rest of them did? 
Do you realize what Paul said who wrote a third of the New Testament? As sinners, I am chief. I was, no, I, not I was chief, I am chief. What does that mean? He goes, man, if I'm not out doing something bad, at least I have the capability of thinking it. That's why the Bible says we bring every thought captive to the mind of Christ. Because if we act upon our thoughts, we'll fulfill the wrong desires that will take us away from God. So letting God be God, that's the first thing. Number two, you're a child of the king, live like it. Remember who you are. Don't let the devil discourage you because you are a child of the king. You bring life wherever you go. The kingdom of God reigns where you go. I like that. There's a little bit of heaven that you bring everywhere you go. This morning, I just want you to remember that you're an ambassador of the Most High. That's so important. God's with you. But Mike, you don't understand. I got these problems. Yeah, Joseph had them too. And God was with Joseph and gave him favor. God will give you favor as well. But Mike, you don't understand. I just lost my job. Hey, God's going to give you a better job. I I, want to encourage you to look for it. But know this, God does not dial wrong numbers. I get so tired of wrong numbers. Do you get those? Hi, this is Phil from insurance on your car. Do you know your car uh, warranty? No, I don't want any of that. Have you had that? God don't dial wrong numbers. He loves you. Third, if you're not a Christian here this morning, get off the road to hell. Just get off it. It ain't doing you any good. It ain't making you any younger. I want to encourage you to get off that road. You say, how do I get off the road? The Bible says repent. Lord, I'm sorry I've been on the wrong road. Put me on the right road in Jesus' name. The Bible says we pass from death unto life. Hey, that's a whole new life. And I'd rather be on the straight and narrow road to heaven than the widest paved road to hell there is. Because you see, the friends were just passing through. And either you're laying up for yourself reward in heaven or punishment in hell. And it's real. Why did Jesus give up all the worship of heaven to come down to be born in a dirty manger, to be rejected of men, have his beard pulled out, crucified to a cross, spit on, laughed at, ridiculed? Evidently, hell must be a really, really bad place to try to save all of us from it if we'll just accept what he did. The Bible says, repent. How do we repent? Sorry, Lord. You know, I'm sorry. Now, you'll find in your life, even as a believer, if you're coming out of the world, there's sins that you like. (laughs) We just do. Maybe you're a Christian and you find there's some sins that you like. Let me just tell you about this. God will change your heart towards that sin. In other words, you'll start hating that sin the way God does. Why? Because you'll see that sin for what it is. It takes you away from God's best. And God loves you too much to share you with the world. So we're going to pray right now. And you can ask God to forgive you, change your direction, the rest of your life here on this earth, and lay up for yourself heaven, heavenly treasure. That's where it needs to be. 
you can pray and ask God to come in your life. Because when things around us fail, your money fails, your job fails, whatever failure might be out there, you got a God that remains stable. The whole world was under a famine. And yet, because of Jacob's faithfulness, the children of Israel had plenty. God has a way of providing in a world without for those that love him. He will take care of you. You see, that's why when Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. And the most important part of that prayer is this. Our Father, Daddy. That's a relationship, not religion. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to have a relationship with you. Like a father, a loving father towards his child. This morning, if you need to pray and get right with God, let's pray. We'll have communion. And you can let God heal you of those things. So the first thing we need to do is get right with God. So we're going to pray right now. And you can turn your life over to Christ. That's what we're doing. So let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I am sorry for the foolish way that I have lived. So change me. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. His blood covered my sins. And so from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. So I'll have the power to love you more and to love people around me more, God. And thank you for writing my name in your book of life that I spend eternity with you. And so now use me. May you bless me and keep me all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Amen.